You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. And welcome to this week's edition of the Game Corner. As always, my name is Kino Calcon, and I actually have two friends with me this week, which I think is a first for the Game Corner as far as interviewing two people at the same time. Uh, we have Maeve Reed from episode nine of the Game Corner here to talk about adventures from Pelinor, and a new friend, Connor Hurst, who is also from the same Dungeons and Dragons group. Guys, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Kian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I've been really excited to have you back for ages and ages. I just assumed that you were very busy with back to college stuff and all that. Yeah, I've been a lot. I've had a lot going on, but I really enjoyed last time, so I'm glad to be back. Excellent. And how are you doing today, Connor? I'm doing pretty well. I'm uh, excited to take part. So. Excellent. Uh, so before we get into kind of the roots of the D&D stuff, when we started up this show, it was kind of a way to reach out to people during the lockdown with all the craziness that's happening in the world. Uh, so for the week that's in it, a lot seems to be going down. Are you guys doing okay with third level education? Is there any craziness that's going on with that? Like, I guess the main thing on my end is that, um, I'm due to start back on Monday the 21st, and obviously we're in Dublin, so the whole potential lockdown is coming, but at the same time, uh, timetables are a bit of an issue in the sense that we are due to start back on the 21st, and that is also the day that we get our timetables. It's it's a little messy. <laughs> yes, I've been talking... I've been saying at all. <clears throat> I, and yourself, have you had a similar experience then, Connor? Um, well, we've, we've been given a timetable in terms of... Um, of classes but then labs will start the week after and we're sort of we haven't been put into our lab groups yet so we're all just like when are we going in when are we going in when are we going in <laughs> we've pulled that we've pulled that we've pulled that yeah <laughs> i know exactly what you mean i've been talking to a lot of students and i won't name the universities because that's not fair but their timetables have been so erratic that a lot of them have their core subjects scheduled opposite each other and all this craziness, everyone, like, I mean, everyone's a stress in general, but it seems mm. third level in particular has been hit very hard this month. Mm. And like, are you like studying from home or is this like kind of in building? Like what way, obviously things may change by the time the show is aired, but what way is it looking now? <laughs> at the moment, at the moment, it's looking like, like lectures and stuff will all be from home. And then at least from my course. And then obviously we need to, we, we can't really do our labs from home. So we have to go in and actually. Yeah. Because I don't exactly have sulfuric acid at home. <laughs> I was about to ask, could you imagine the complicated setup if you suddenly had to do lab work from home? Like just create this like corner space with all these delicate materials and Bunsen burners and all that. Mm, I've got See, it a IP. little easier with mine at least because it's food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly like i would genuinely be terrified mainly because of my housemates i wouldn't trust them near anything volatile 
oh, you were preaching to the choir because I'm in a house of like four or five adults and a baby and a dog. I'm just the stress of trying to maintain for food or chemistry, a sterile environment would just be impossible. Like, mm. But uh, on to happier things there. We are going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons uh, and we are going to particularly talk about the Adventures from Pelennor, which is the game you guys are running. So can I just ask, did you guys know each other before you started playing the game together? How, how did this come about? Uh, well, we met at Shurikon and we made friends pretty quick. And he invited me almost immediately to join games with him. So Connor was originally my dungeon master and eventually I got confident enough in playing the game myself that I wanted to run my own game. So now Connor is one of my players and likewise in a different game, I'm one of his. Oh, I see. So you're running kind of multiple games then? Yeah, no, I think I'm in about four or five and I think Connor, you're about the same. I, th I think I'm in six and I'm running one. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness! Um, how do you how do you keep all this, like do you, do you have different characters in each one? How do you keep that straight in your oh, head? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. when you DM, you have to keep all the NPCs clear in your head, so it sort of forces you to be able to. Oh my goodness. Okay, I really regret not having you on the first episode, uh, Connor, because like kind of Maeve took us through the how you get set up and all that kind of stuff, but clearly it's much more complicated than I had originally anticipated. Oh, yeah. So I want, I don't want to read. We also both have very different styles. So, well then, let's actually get into that. What's a, what's a DM's style? Take us through that. Yeah. So I mean, some some go for the more like whimsical improv with like basically there's either a bit of prep and a load of improv, or like a lot of prep and a bit of improv, and then there's like the half and half. But then there's also whether you're running like a political game or running one that's like very combat heavy or one that's very like role play heavy. Like it very much depends. And even within that, it's like what themes are running throughout the game. So like mm. a lot of Maeve's NPCs tend to be incredibly whimsical. Okay, you gotta tell me what a political D D game is. You can't just put that out there and not explain it. Um so essentially so, for example, say you're sort of slowly gaining your reputation as adventurers, and then you start doing some work for the local lord, which sort of gets you into their good books, and you slowly start learning bits about how the political system in whatever country you're in, in is like. And then it sort of snowballs from there, because once I found that once players learn how that works, they're like, oh we can do things with this. <laughs> and that's when the terror as a DM sets in. <laughs> oh, because you, you really oh boy, need to know what have I stuff? let them in for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well then, this is what I was wondering about, because like, how much planning do you have to do before you, like, do you build, in, like, I know Maeve last time talked about how much detail she has in Pelennor World, but for each game, like you mentioned six, does an entire world and language and ecosystem have to be developed or can you, can you kind of invent it as you go along? I think it's a good idea to sort of make a scale. Don't make an entire world at once. Make like a continent and then populate that. But populate it as you go because otherwise you will get burnt out. Dear God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and question to both of you. Has a Game Master ever burned out, and what does it look like if it does? 
Um, it looks like suddenly their mental health has gone down the toilet. Um, I've known myself briefly. I burned out because of just outside factors piling in on top of me during games. This was maybe in the first or second week of lockdown. I had a bit of time where I just had to stop for a bit and like throw in a one shot so that I didn't have to think about the major world building. Uh, but I've seen a couple game masters burn out in the sense that their mental health declines so horribly because they're putting everything they have into making this game and making it good enough. And they get this level of anxiety where if it isn't perfect, then they feel like they're disappointing everyone. And it's just, it's a game of people pleasing that you need to learn to step back every once in a while, go, no, mm. this is what I can do well. And this is what I can do good. My players are enjoying themselves and I don't need to hold myself to a godly standard to make a really good game. Yeah. It's funny because now that you mention it in that context, it kind of sounds like being a showrunner on like Doctor Who or Game of Thrones or something <laughs> like that. That kind of unique pressure, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. no, it's all about keeping the momentum going. And you, usually games, especially because we have nothing else to do lately, it's been weekly or fortnightly games uh and you just have to sort of keep a pace and keep on top of it it's very much a game of um building in the right places so you might have this massive amount of lore and world building you want to do but that's not going to help you when the party is about to go face a dragon and you need to like stat out the exact points and like the life health and the abilities that the dragon has for the next game okay to go for that dragon fight <laughs> i've introduced a dragon and he's very excited it's quite fun <laughs> We've done Our the dungeons, now we need to do the dragons. <laughs> okay. I just love that that's your checklist. Have you done dungeons? Have you done dragons? Have you done and? Like, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't expect that tangents to run on for so long, but that's wonderful. That's exactly what I'm looking for. But now, what I'd really like to get into is possibly an ongoing segment every couple of episodes. The Adventures from Pelinor, the game that you two are in. So, Take us through, who is our cast of characters and the people who play them? Okay, so I am the DM, so I get to be every NPC and all of that. Um, alongside that, we have six players at the moment, which include Connor playing Kier, who is uh, an Eladrin wizard. Do you want to explain a bit about yourself, since yeah. it's your character? So Eladrin are essentially, they're a subspecies of elf that are just closer to the primal elves, to like the original elves. But um, essentially, Kier is a ball of stress. Kier <laughs> is a ball of stress because he's a conjuration wizard, which means he deals with all like the different planes of existence and all that kind of stuff and teleporting. And the gates to the other planes of existence have been like have closed and it's affecting yeah. magic, and he's sort of sat there like, Argh! Yeah, um, I, uh, I know Connor said earlier about the whole, you know, you introduce the characters at a low level and you let them get to know the area. I didn't do that, because this is my first game. What I did was I said, hello and welcome to Pelinor. You've saved an old lady from a little pile of imps, and also, you know those portals that are a common thing in D&D worlds that allow you to access all the other planes from the Feywild, which is like the fairy plane, yeah. to like where the gods live, to various versions of hell. Um, all of the portals are closed and it's cutting off magic. This is especially bad for Connor's character because his family lives on one of those other planes. Okay, so I'm getting like a sort of 
kind of stressed out Doctor Strange type vibe. Somebody just sees existence in a different way to the others. <laughs> kind of, but a little, a little more flamboyant and occasionally talks like a villain, even though he doesn't mean to. Yeah, he gets into this tone of voice and I come in and I'm like, I'm causing this with the way you speak. You just have that intonation of villainy. I am stressed and angry, okay? <laughs> God, a dragon to be the least of your problems. Okay, who oh, yeah. are who are our other five lead characters then? Okay, so uh, we have two other guys in the party. Uh, next up we have Thaddeus, who plays an Azamar, um, wild magic sorcerer. And what that means is he is basically part celestial being and he has the capacity to sprout angelic wings. Outside of that, he also, in appearance, just looks like a unicorn vomited on him because he is entirely just made of rainbow colors. Uh, he's very <laughs> bubbly and friendly, and he's just, um, he's kind of the, the friendly face of the party um, more than anything else. He's the person you wander up to and you go, hey, you seem nice, could you point me to like the local tavern and he'll be like I will direct you there I don't know where I am but I remember that place okay so to offset the occasional villainy of our first character <laughs> yeah. we have this bright unicorn who I imagine is terrible at hiding oh, a little bit yeah um. he gives off like flamboyant wholesome Texan vibes yeah he speaks in a Texan accent for the whole thing <laughs> That that is a very necessary detail. Okay, I'm oh, very yeah. I'm very hyped to hear the rest of this motley crew. Who's next? Okay, next up is uh, Arathius, who is our warlock half elf character, who is sort of the tired uncle of the party in the sense that he's a little bit older chronologically. You know, accounting for the fact that Kier's like a hundred and a bit or two hundred. Right. Um, hundred and fifty-two. 152. Uh, Arathius is the one who looks physically the oldest. He looks to be about in his 40s. Um, he has eyes that look like they're blind, but because of his warlock patron, who is the Dream Lord, which is a little bit inspired by the Sandman comics, I was but about I won't to say ask. too yeah, much yeah, about yeah. that yet. Yeah, um, I've slipped in a couple things about the Dream Lord in there, but they're only just coming to fruition, so that's slight spoilers for later. Uh, so Arathius is the Dream Lord's patron, and as a result, the entire party has been plagued with extremely portentous dreams, uh, maybe three times by now over the course of the months that they've been together, uh, because I'd the like Dream Lord is trapped in the Feywild and wants to get out. <clears throat> oh my god! I'd like to not dream, please. Yeah, elves aren't supposed to dream, so it's especially terrifying for Kier whenever he gets a dream. Oh my god, it's like these characters bring so much baggage before you get even into the story. Especially when you have a century and a half under your belt. Mm. <laughs> is there anyone in this group who is just sort of relaxed? Thaddeus. Um, Thaddeus is the most relaxed and after him comes probably Rega in terms of relaxation. Okay. Uh, Rega is a human ranger who has since multiclassed into druid um she is a really sweet friendly girl who loves animals with a burning passion uh but with equal passion hates one of the main bbgs uh who is also yeah. a druid lady but does some kind of messed up stuff so walk that uh, back to me whole... bbeg sorry 
uh, big, big bad, bad evil, evil guy. guy. Thank you. Uh, okay, so, please go yeah. on. Cool, yeah. <laughs> so we have like four or five major BBEGs that are different power levels for the party to face. But anyway, with Rega, uh, she has no memory of her life up to about two weeks before she met the party uh, because she suffered she finds ways to retrieve her memories. Uh, but as a result, she had a very special knife on hand that is a key to the big bad evil guy getting a step closer to what they want. And as a result of that, she was tricked into giving that knife to Ariadne, one of the evil guys. And as a result, she is hell-bent on getting vengeance on her. Outside of yeah, that, she's a little she's sweet. And yeah, she's very murdery at the moment. But right, but like outside of that, she's very sweet and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we've got two characters to go, but how much of this does the player playing the character bring, and how much comes from you, the DM? Well, um, the player basically came to me and went, because uh, this was like her first proper game, so she wanted to give me as much Leo as possible because she wasn't sure what she was getting into, which is very fun for me because I get to play with everything she doesn't remember. <laughs> so the player knows that she got caught in a storm at sea, uh, washed up on the shores of Karnak, which is one of the two starting seaside villages that the party ends up with in, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. There she met another character who we haven't spoken about yet, Cleo. And basically after that point, she sporadically remembers everything until she gets a magical moonstone that stores her memories so that she doesn't continue to forget things because the way her amnesia works is that she just has extreme forgetty amnesia and it's a recurring thing that she'll wake up the next day and be like oh who are you unless she has some kind of written down or proven way of being like ah yes i see that i remember you from the book where i wrote things so dory with so, a knife uh, who likes animals yeah pretty much uh well, we managed there's, there's to... more than just a knife my friend <laughs> yeah a knife a bow a couple other magical items that i've been giving them along the way an ancient uh, scythe <laughs> an ancient death scythe with the capacity to insta kill but the but it recharges every hundred years and it got used on a flump which is a little floaty thing that looks a bit like a jellyfish octopus and i was gonna say sad. it doesn't I sound overly impressive yeah so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're one of Connor's favorite creatures. <laughs> it's wholesome. They feed oh. on positive emotions. Oh my god. So your unicorn Texan chap must have been heartbroken. Yeah, it was actually his fault that Plum was there because his wild magic does this thing where it will surge and that just causes a random <laughs> effect out of a list of a hundred different possible effects and one of the effects is a number of flumps just randomly appear. Uh, this is favorite line. <laughs> my favorite line he's ever said in in relation to that ability is, "If turn into a sheep, kill me." <laughs> yeah, that that specific one on the table has happened twice. He's been a sheep twice. In the same section. Yeah. <laughs> I am writing that down for Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. And who are our last two protagonists then? Okay, so the last two are Cleo and X. X is short for executioner, but I'll talk. Sounds uh, friendly. Cleo is, <laughs> Cleo is the rogue assassin. Um, 
who is also the like King Arthur style heir to the throne who didn't know it until very recently. Mm. Um, she has a curse upon her family. That means that if she kills something, it can be a spider, it can be a wolf, it can be a person, doesn't matter. If she blow on something, she has the potential to go into a blood rage and just start killing everything in sight until she makes a saving throw to stop herself from doing it or she is restrained. I've taken more damage from her than I have from anything else in the game. <laughs> and yes, you, you all stay together. <laughs> oh yes. Um, it's reached yeah, a point of like reluctant it. codependence. <laughs> well, that sounds wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, at least this episode is going to be very quotable. <laughs> Lovely. And... Um, Tell me something then, like, um, how did all of these myriad of characters all come together in terms of the story? Well, it was, um, for most of them, it was all at once. And for X, the final character, it was a little while later because she was initially going to be a one-shot character. And then they just got on with her so well. I was like, you know what? I can handle another player. And she entered the fold. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah, we, <coughs> we adopted her. She had problems, we have problems, yeah. Yeah, they were going the same direction. Her problems were that she escaped from a cult that used her as an executioner with her friend and also a very small child. Um, they're all tieflings, and there's a whole issue in the south of Pelennor with tieflings being a combination of subjugated and used for sport. Um, so that's, that's a whole thing that the party wants to deal with later. Uh, which they've dealt, dealt with a little bit thus far, because at one point X did get kidnapped. But um, And now the desert's our friend. Oh yeah, the desert is sentient. But um, getting back to the point, the way the characters first no, met... No, 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 you don't get to just walk away from that. Why is the desert <laughs> sentient? Reasons. So... <laughs> I've made a lot of my own lore, partially because I like to trip up Connor specifically, who has read all the lore he can get his hands on, and I like to confuse him. Yeah. Um, and also, so, the desert is called Embrus, and Embrus used to be a god that resided alongside the sun god, Aruna. Uh, now, these two gods basically got in a fight, and Aruna won, cast Embrus down to earth, impaling her with Aruna's spear. Uh, the earth where Embrus landed was charred black and then became uh, unable to be cultivated for agriculture. It turned to sand and it turned to like blistering hot all the time. So Embrus is basically an enraged god cast down to earth and trapped to the soil by a terrifying spear. Um, as a result of this, Embrus called upon the powers of demons and beings and basically went, aid me to bring forth an army to cast down Aruna, who is now my sworn enemy, because she basically did the equivalent of killing a god, but like a step before that, like putting a god in a perma-grumpy coma. You, uh, yeah, uh, I was about to use the term naughty step, but I think you beat me to it there, yeah. <laughs> like, she basically atlas her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, the reason why there are so many tieflings in Embrith, which is also the name of the the basic the region of Pelennor, the country. Um, Pelennor like the continent, and then Embrith like the country. Uh, the reason for that is because of Embrith being the desert itself. Uh, but 
in that desert, there is a city called Cicero, which is a lightly floating city that is filled to the brim with worshippers of Aruna, whose like general goal in life is to basically worship Aruna, keep Empress subjugated, and occasionally, actually pretty regularly, offer blood sacri sacrifice to the desert, which is sort of a way of keeping Empress tamped down, but still gaining the benefits of having a god beneath them as well as above them. Okay, well, you kind of set me up for my next question, which is, you've got these six characters who all have such complex backstories that need to be resolved and all that stuff. How do you pitch your first adventure? What was the first thing these characters did? Okay, um, the first thing these characters did was um, they basically met in a town called Sea Haven. Right. And in Sea Haven, they were sort of around the place together. And... Refresh my memory, Connor, if I'm getting things wrong, because it has um, been a while. I'm literally reading my notes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Hi, I'm the note-taking guy. Uh, yeah, no, he's very comprehensive. <laughs> but, essentially, I rocked up. I saw Thaddeus and went, you look vibrant. And so I sat down and chatted to him, and we were about to go take a job. We went, oh, we together. I saw Arathian, who had his breastplate on, and we went, we're going to need that. <laughs> so we walked over to him and said, hey, we're doing a job. Wanna... And then we walked over to the board, and then Cleo and Rega went to take the job off the board, as far as I remember. Or that or they, like, mm. sat down near us. And we were like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> that was in my hand. <laughs> and so they went off to do it, and we just sort of wombled after them. Yeah. And they ran away, and so I sent my burb after them. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a recurring theme of the girls kind of going, we, we are the competent ones here, boys, and we are going to go do this job. And the boys being like, well, so are we. We're not idiots. <laughs> and then they lit the beacons for the BBEG. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm getting kind of a Guardians of the Galaxy. They're all out for themselves, but reluctantly codependent, like you said, type vibe off the group. Yeah. Sometimes. They, not they always, do get points. But sometimes. Yeah, occasionally you get that, and occasionally it reaches a point where it's like, yeah, no, we are actually friends, and we're a team, and that kind of thing comes in a little, but uh, yeah, the vibes and like the sentiments that they tend to voice out loud is often just like, I'm I'm not here because I like you or anything. I'm here because I have, we're doing this job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I, I did just find a note from the desert stuff. It just says, the desert is alive and xenophobic. <laughs> a long, a followed by the phrase Thaddeus is soaked big dead people <laughs> I don't know Okay well then uh, The question I'll put to both of you then Is that you have Characters and by extension I'm assuming players Who all mm -hmm. have these big personalities How do you kind of balance Which way the plot goes And what kind of stories they get uh, well, uh, one of the key factors is the recurring trope of people getting kidnapped. Uh, be <laughs> because you see, uh, whenever a player can't make it, which for the first summer that we were playing this game, uh, the character of Rega, she was going away. So I needed a convenient way to be like, the story can continue even though you can't play. So I went, Rega gets kidnapped uh, in the forest by some... Got himself kidnapped. Evil druids, yeah. Rega got kidnapped because 
<laughs> and Arathius accidentally also got kidnapped. Um, Arathius escaped sooner than Rega, but because of the way D&D works and because we were going a bit slow, Arathius was literally only like a day, of head, a day ahead of Rega in terms of leaving the central forest where all of the druids congregate and getting back to the party. Uh, so what happened with Arathius was he had to <laughs> he had to escape. Uh, he had a hand in the escape because he was also running away from bears that were trained by the druids. Uh, he found this uh, fairy adjacent being whose name is Florence, who's a little bit insane and gives off slight Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter vibes at times. Right. Uh, yeah. She is also known as the Dust Witch, and basically all of her power oh. is smoke and poof and teleport through <laughs> dust and soot and clouds. She's got this sort of aesthetic of like pinks and purples and she's just, she's very sweet, but she's also rather confused all the time. And that gets explained a little while later with some of the BBEGs having messed with her mind. But in the moment, she saves Arathius from the bears and the druids and successfully manages to send him flu powder style through her chimney, which is in a house hidden deep in the woods. Uh, back towards the party. He focuses on a location, and I go to him, what specifically do you focus on? And he goes, I focus on Kier. And I go, okay, cool. And I stop it there, because I did that in a one-shot with just him. I came back the next week that we had the full party together, uh, sans Rega, because she wasn't there yet. And I went, so, you're all riding to this location that you were aiming to go to, when all of a sudden, in a poof of smoke, in almost a millisecond, Arathius shoots sideways at a high velocity directly through Kier. Kier is knocked off his horse, and you find yourself facing a soot and dust covered Arathius, looking slightly dazed and a little, like, actually quite a lot tired. He was, he was very exhausted. The worst part about that was I was both blind and deaf at that time. <laughs> because I was looking through the I was basically using my familiar to scout ahead he's like a little sparrow hawk yeah. I was using him and I was looking through his senses so I, the only thing I could do was feel and someone was leading my horse and he just comes flying out of a tree I have no warning no time to react because I can't see <laughs> and just get knocked off a horse and I just on <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Guys, I'm really sorry, but we actually only have uh, two minutes left on the clock. So is there anything you want to say about Pelinor or about your experience of kind of gaming together in general? I mean, I'm both satisfied and terrified by everything Maeve has thrown at us. So <laughs> I feel like that's a good middle ground. Yeah. I have cultivated an aura of mystique and terror uh, that has been aided by the fact that playing over Discord, no one can see my expressions, which is very funny for me. Uh, and I and just would like lend to itself play well to being games. blind and deaf, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, conversely with Connor running games for me as well i get the vibe of seeing how different styles are played and i pull a lot of what he does into my own games because he has a lot more structure and a lot more focus in building certain parts whereas i tend to sporadically think of things at 2 a.m go that is an excellent idea jot it down memorize it and just have it in my head ready to go 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much for what is hopefully volume one in the adventures of Pelinor. Is there anything you want to plug before we wrap? Um, um, not particularly. Well, I suppose, I mean, I was kind of fishing, but I suppose there's no Shurikon updates or anything, unfortunately. No, nothing as of yet. It's been radio silence until college starts back up proper, and then I'm fairly certain we're not going to be able to run Shurikon this year in February, but, you know, maybe if thing. No, we won't have time to plan it. If it happens, it'll be the year on, 2022. Okay, okay. And thank you so much for giving up your time, guys. If you want to do this again and bring another of your motley crew, you are more than welcome anytime you like. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. Excellent. Yeah. Thank, you. thank you so much, guys. Uh, thank you, Maeve. Thank you, Connor. This has been The Game Corner. And in next week's episode, because we are planning it now, we will be discussing the big and slightly controversial Mario Bundle that has come out this week for the Switch. You can find that next Friday at the same location. Until then, I've been Keanu Calicorn. This has been Maeve and Connor. Give a virtual wave for Spotify, guys. See you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.